Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Well, today in the gospel, we have the story of the Good Samaritan, and this has become pretty well known the phrase Good Samaritan, so much so that even in the state of Ohio, we have things called the Good Samaritan Laws ever since 1977. Someone who's trying to do good to someone in duress can't have legal repercussions happen to them because they were trying to do good. The idea of the Good Samaritan. So it's important to recognize there's things in our culture that echo from the Bible and the Christian tradition, but sometimes we forget that they where they're from, so they get untethered and then redefined and things, so it's good to revisit the source of these things. But the Good Samaritan story, uh, we, we all pretty much think we got it. All right, Jesus told us to go help those in need. All right, Father, your homily should be short. Let's move on. But the early church, and really up until recent times, saw this gospel passage on a much deeper level than you and I do. They see it on a much more, you could call it poetic, or you could call it metaphoric, or even mystical level. So much so that uh, this became a great teaching to describe Jesus. Not his followers being do-gooders, but Jesus. So today what I want to do is help you understand what has been the vast, almost 2,000 year understanding and interpretation of this. Because that's really what's taken on the life-changing and cultural-changing power. And so, let's just enter in a little bit here, and then at the end we'll talk about some of the practical implications. So it begins by this scholar of the law telling Jesus the two greatest commandments. Love God with everything you got, and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's funny because in the Jewish laws, there were so many of them. So it was pretty common that they would ask a rabbi or a scholar, hey, with all the laws, what's the most important? Like we might say nowadays, like, give me the gist. Like there's so many. And they took pride in different ways of encapsulating it. There's one weird story where they'd stand on one foot and regurgitate one law to capture them all, to show them that this is such an important one. But he regurgitates or says back to Jesus, the greatest commandment is loving God and loving human beings with everything you got. And Jesus says, okay, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll be fine. But sometimes we forget that that's pretty radical. That you can't love God without loving human beings and you can't really love human beings that well without loving God. How do these two things go together? Why for the Bible are they always being put together? Because it's not clear in other religious traditions. And it's because of who Jesus is. He's fully God and fully human. And so we can't love Jesus, our God, without also loving his humanity. And we can't love his humanity without understanding his identity, that he's true God and true man. And so the Bible and the church are always about Jesus. If we get him right, if we understand who he is and what he's offering for us, things tend to click into place. And so, although this seems like a lofty command, love God and love your neighbor, what it's really saying is, like, love Jesus, who says is both mighty God 
And he says, whatever you do for the least of my people, you do for me. And it goes on. Even the story of the Good Samaritan, the saints and mystics and theologians of the tradition all say the same thing, that Jesus is using locations and images for a first century audience, but he's telling the story about himself. Who is the one that was going decently, but then starts going in the wrong direction, gets stripped of its dignity, stolen, and is now hurting and crying out for need and feels ignored? Us. It's called the fall or original sin. In the beginning, we had immense dignity in the book of Genesis. We were participating in God's beauty and glory and then being lied to and seduced by the enemy. We fall from grace and then between our sins and others, we continue to feel ignored, confused, stripped of our meaning and purpose, without hope, crying out for need. And then there's one who comes from the outside and is moved with compassion for us. This is the beauty of the passage where Jesus is trying to say who he is. You have other people who are supposed to represent God, priests and Levites, and they aren't moved with compassion, they just move away. But Jesus, revealing the face of God, it says he's moved with compassion by our needs. And he pours oil and cares for us. He doesn't step away from you in your wounds and brokenness and needs. He steps closer. And as he nourishes us and feeds us and cares for us, he then takes us to this inn, which the theologians have said is the church. That the church, Pope Francis keeps saying this, the church is not an NGO, which is European talk for like a community of do-gooders. What it means to be church is not, oh, we do good for others. That misses how deeply mysterious and beautiful we are. We're the mystical body. We're the place where Christ is most alive and active with his healing and compassion through meaning and purpose in the scriptures, through his love and life given to us in the sacraments. And then once we eat and drink his body and blood and have been renewed, it's in and through us that Jesus is meant to pour his compassion into the world. And so this is why at the end Jesus says, go and do likewise. Meaning if you're going to be a Christian, as we said in the opening prayer, for those who take the name of Christian, Jesus says, go and be another Christ. In Latin it was alter Christus, other Christs. Be another Christ in the world. Go and be moved with compassion. But there's an interesting part of this that I want to just focus on one little part this morning. That the person who was beaten and robbed and stripped was going from Jerusalem, it says. He was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. We think, oh, independence to Richfield. Okay, whatever, we get it. But this movement was the wrong direction. The whole gospel of Luke, you're supposed to go towards Jerusalem, not away from Jerusalem. And so this guy's going in the wrong way. And how often in our life do we judge people as going the wrong way? And they actually might be. And then all these bad things happen. And we might be, might be, tempted to think, well, that's what they get for doing that. Well, of course this way. They believe these views. 
Of course they have that happen to them. Of course this is what's happening because they believe this and not that and they're going the wrong way with their life. And we withdraw from them pointing fingers. We, much like the Levite, I'm sorry, much like the Levite, yeah, and the priest, we can see them and then we just, oh, that's bad, and we just walk away because they did it to themselves. If they would just get their act together. This is the power of God's love. It's not a love that rewards you for having right ideas or doing good. It's not a love that evaluates as, okay, who's worthy of my love today and who's not? I'll figure that out. It doesn't say, well, you've only wronged me 10 times. You wronged me 20 times. I'll love you instead. No, God's love is something so radical because it's freely given. If God took stock of any one of us to see if we earned divine grace and love, we'd really be scared. But it's freely given. It's merciful love. It's an indulgent love. It's a love that, according to worldly logic, is even unfair at times. With how kind and generous he is, sometimes to us, sometimes to others. And so what Jesus is saying is, he comes to be the face of God, as we heard in that first reading, the image of the invisible God. And he says, okay, do you see how I'm loving even the most broken? Go and do likewise. Father Walt, my predecessor, if you're new here and you don't know, Father Walt was here for 25 years, and I heard just at the parish picnic last month, he used to say this phrase to people, we serve others not because they're Catholic, but because we are. That's getting at the same idea. That's getting at the biblical logic of God. We give, we help, we reach out to others, not because they're good, but because Christ has called us to be good. And this is why the church has been seen to be so generous. Catholic Charities does more for the eight counties in Northeast Ohio than any other organization. The church continues to reach out to more and more people worldwide than any other organization. Here at our parish, we have this new group called St. Joseph's Fix-It Guys going into people's homes who can no longer do basic fixing things like light bulbs or my toilet's running or they just can't do it anymore and no one in their life can help them for whatever reason, these gentlemen are going out. The Flourish Women's Ministry is helping Deacon Lou's I'm In Ministries. We got St. Vincent de Paul who continues by our generosity to be able to help people who can't pay an electric bill or has no place to live, or doesn't have money for groceries or gas to get to work. They investigate the claims to make sure we're not being deceived, and then gives them the reasonable amount to help them on their way. Not because these people, you know, didn't even do it to themselves, perhaps, but because we want to be like Christ. We want to imitate our God. St. Catherine's Food Pantry, we drop off food here, serving thousands of meals and then Mary, Queen of Peace, in the last two years, we've upped our relationship. We now do several meals a month, but including we also do after-school tutoring and other ways of helping the people there. Once again, it's because Jesus shows us we don't need to know your story. You're human. You're created in the image of God. That's enough for us. We want to show you of your dignity and help you. And so it's great that we have all these ministries, and there's many others but it's also true that some of the ministries we have, we don't always think 
as service ministries. But there's more to a human being than their bodily needs. So we have mass and adoration. What happens at mass? Everyone can worship God. Everyone's allowed to worship God and touch Him and be touched by Him. We don't separate men and women like some religions do. We don't separate the initiated and uninitiated like some religions do. We say all are welcome to hear the good news of the Scriptures. And when they're ready and they've come to faith and they recognize what the body and blood of Jesus are and what they're meant to be and they're ready to do that through formation, everyone's ready to receive Him so that we can be Him for the world. Adoration, we get to contemplate heavenly mysteries right here in our little human buildings. We have education programs so people can grow in meaning and hope and be healed from loneliness and despair. And so this parish, the Catholic Church worldwide, continues to reach out to serve men and women. And we don't need a ministry to do it. And so my challenge to you this week is, it's a spirituality called the duty of the moment. I learned about it eight years ago. And really what it is is, we don't make excuses, we don't overthink it. What is the duty of this moment? I'll say yes. What does this person need? Oftentimes all they need is someone to look at them. And to say, that sounds really hard. If you're going to a ball game this week downtown, maybe you're not comfortable giving them a few coins to the homeless people or a little bit of money, but can you stop and ask them their name and say, I'm not going to be able to give you money today, but I'm going to spend some time with you. I'll end with this story. One of my priest friends, he just moved into the cathedral downtown. He's going to be the new vocation director. We were out to lunch this week and he said he, uh, was having, he was walking around the cathedral and this homeless guy was sitting on the steps. And so he sat next to him. He goes, and I told him right away, I'm not going to give you any money, but I'd like to spend some time with you. This homeless guy said, Father, that's worth a million dollars. And they were talking for a few minutes. He goes, but is there any chance I could have a little money? <laughs> and my free friend said, no, I told you no, but I, I will make sure that every time I see you, I'll come over and I'll say hi. And you could, say, you could just see this guy smile and laugh. They joked around about all sorts of nonsense. Two or three minutes, then my priest friend went on his way. That met a guy's deeper need that day. The need for someone else to recognize, I'm a person. I'm made in the image of God. I matter to God, and therefore I also matter to the church. Amen.